CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. It's a Friday afternoon here at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. That can mean only one thing. It is options action time. Here's what's coming at you. We're rushing headlong into a big earnings week. First, it's like it's on autopilot or something. Carter Worth looks at the name you pretty much can't avoid at this intersection, Tesla. Then, Tony Zhang explains why Netflix is anything but chill right now and how to cozy up without risking a heartache. Plus, like the nerd in an 80s movie, there's only so many times that commodities are going to be a hero. Professor Ko shows you how to seize the day. And a special bonus earnings trade tonight. It's such a big show, we're running out of time in this open, so you'll just have to watch. It's time to risk less to make more. Options action starts right now. Let's get right to it. With so much to cover tonight, even with autopilot, it is hard to get around it. You almost can't have an earnings season lately without talking about Tesla. But Carter, what are the charts saying? Well, that's right. And in many ways, and it's the hope here, I have two charts and they're just the same as Bitcoin, which is to say uh, the phenomenon of levels and the phenomenon of breakouts and breakdowns and why certain moments matter. Uh, it's all technical. Just as Bitcoin has no earnings, Tesla, most of its career had no earnings. So it's all about the charts. Let's look at the first of the two charts. What do we know? That is exactly the chart we were just looking at in Bitcoin, right? You have a well-defined trend line. In fact, Bitcoin bounced seven times to the penny off that line. Why would it stop there? Because the PE level? Because of an enterprise value EBITDA level, a peg ratio? No, because of the line, the chart. And so the issue is, does it or does it not exceed its former high? We know that high was 940 cents back on January 25th. Here we are a long time later. It would take about a 7% move to get there. So take a look at the second chart. It's the same chart, and I've just uh, drawn the lines, and the arrow uh, depicts it. I think you can get to the former high. But again, more often than not, before you really break out, before you can exceed a former high, you contend with it, which is to back and fill or back away. Why? Because there's there's shares. There are people who bought at the high who've had nothing but an unhappy experience. And the human condition, when given a chance to get your money back, wow, I'm whole, I'm even, is to seize it. So you you encounter supply at a former high, two types. One, those who bought poorly at the high, who've endured losses and are seeking to be made whole to get out. And then there's another kind of memory, the exact opposite. People who bought well three months ago, four months ago, who have big gains, who say, wow, this is back at a 52-week high, I should book it. That's more often not what happens, and I think that's what's going to happen for Tesla. We'll get to the high, and we will stop there. Okay, so given that, Mike, how do you trade it? Yeah, I mean, this is one of those situations where, you know, obviously there's some technical strength here. I think that that 900 level is one that anybody who can look at a chart can, can clearly see. Normally, at this point, I would be talking about fundamentals. I think it's a little bit tougher with Tesla, which is obviously trading more on the promise of what the future holds for the company and beyond EVs, it should be said, uh, than what the company has done in the past, clearly. But it does seem to have some momentum. So what do you do? I mean, it's a situation where you have 
I think the stock closed right around $843 a share, so it's an expensive stock in terms of valuation. It's an expensive stock just in terms of dollars, and we can see where that overhead supply would be. So how do we make a bullish bet going into earnings but mitigate some of the downside risk and possibly some of the amount of capital that we would need to commit, taking advantage perhaps of the fact that options premiums in Tesla are generally relatively high. Uh, I was looking out to January, and I was looking at the 650, 850, 900 call spread risk reversal. So what was I looking to do here? Sell the 650 puts in round numbers. Those were around $21 or so when I was looking at those. Buy the 850 calls, which are essentially at the money. Uh, those were about 58 bucks, And then sell the 900 calls uh, against them as well. And net-net, you'd actually be laying out no premium when I was looking at this earlier today, give or take a couple cents here or there, which are really uh, nothing more than a rounding error when you're talking about an $840 stock. What would this end up yielding you, though? It essentially gives you participation to the upside between 850 and 900. So the maximum profit would be $50 per share, just under 6% of the current stock price. Contrarily, if the stock does fall, it would have to fall quite sharply before the stock was put to you, down to that 650 strike put that we are short. That would be a decline of about 23% from today's closing price. And actually, to lose as much as we have the potential to gain, it would have to fall you know, probably something like 28%, uh, more in that kind of a neighborhood, uh, before we start actually seeing the kinds of downside risk that the upside is capped at. So this is a way that you can give yourself some immediate upside participation, but give yourself a buffer if you haven't been able to participate in the sharp rally that the shares have seen. And one final point I would make, you know, for those people who are looking to have participation in this thing, are obviously concerned about the capital requirements of being short that 650 strike put, which are not insignificant. Stock is obviously an expensive one. It is possible, of course, just to, to look to buy that call spread. The call spread alone would be risking about 2.5% to get that upside participation. But to me, I think that for those people who are thinking about this as a substitute for actually going out and buying the shares, the risk-reward of this trade is favorable relatively. Tony, what's your take on this trade? Yeah, so if you look at the charts, it certainly is compelling, especially you've seen that breakout here above 780. This certainly targets that $900 all-time high to the upside. And if you look at the Q3 deliveries that Tesla just recently reported, it confirms that acceleration we've seen here to the upside on the stock price itself, reversing some of the de deceleration we've seen in terms of deliveries earlier this year. Now, I think the upside here is not only constrained by the chart by the, with that $900 technical level, but also from a supply chain uh, perspective, especially as we see in the production timelines of new products like the Cybertruck being impacted, being pushed out to next year. So Mike's trade structure, I think, makes a lot of sense. It gives him that upside opportunity up to $900 without really spending any money or paying for any premium while getting that 23% downside protection that he's referring to. That's a huge amount of downside protection. The one thing I will point out here is that if you do see a decline here in Tesla between now and January expiration, that's less than the 23% that Mike was showing, was talking about, you will still see an unrealized loss on the trade. You do have to hold it to expiration before you see that zero loss 
costs by expiration. And another way that you can mitigate the amount of margin requirements uh, that's required to put on this trade, you can potentially also buy a really far out of the money put option, maybe a $500 put option. It'll cost you about 1% of the stock's value. That will cap your downside risk and also reduce the margin requirement on this trade. All right. Well, from EVs to what's in your TV, Netflix is set to report earnings on Tuesday. And while Squid Game has helped push the streaming giant to new highs in recent weeks, Tony says there could be even more gains ahead. So, Tony, what's your trade? Yeah, it's always difficult to bet against the biggest player here in streaming, Netflix. Now, when we look, take a look at the longer-term chart here for Netflix, what we've seen here is over the last three months, the stock has consolidated between the roughly 475 and 575 or so. And just a few weeks ago, we saw the breakout here, as you said, based on the Squid Game's popularity. But if we zoom in here on the chart on that particular breakout, not only are we seeing a breakout here on an absolute basis, but the stock is outperforming its sector by a huge margin on this particular breakout. And that type of relative performance is what I like to look for going into an earnings announcement next week. If you look at the business itself, the app download data for Q3 has looked quite strong here. We've seen the first quarter over quarter growth in quite some time and kind of reversing some of the declines we started to see here this year compared to last year uh, on the popularity of Squid Games. Now, the challenging thing here about Netflix is just how high the stock price is, just like the Tesla trade earlier before. So what I was looking to do is going out to November and I was looking to look using a call butterfly. I'm going out to November looking at the 650, 680, 710 call butterfly. Now I specifically chose these specific strike prices because if I look out to the November expiration, the implied volatility of that is about 34%. That is an implied move of about $53. So if you take today's closing price add $53 to it, that puts you at around 680, and that's the short strike that I'm choosing on this butterfly. Net-net here, I'm paying about $4.30 for a $30 wide uh, 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 butterfly. Now, this is a relatively low probability of success trade, only about a 21, 22% chance of success, but I'm risking less than 1% of the stock's value in order to place this bullish bet. And the, the trade will make its maximum return if Netflix is around $680 or at exactly $680 at expiration, where I will have a, about a six to one uh, risk to reward on my particular trade. But this is a strategy that will be profitable if Netflix is between 655 and 705 by the November expiration. Mike, what's your take on this? Butterflies that often partially because their probability uh, tends to be not so great because you really are trying to thread the needle. You're trying to identify a specific price that, is, that a stock is going to get to at a specific point in time. Just choosing a direction is hard enough. Choosing a specific price at a specific moment is obviously exceptionally difficult. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I think actually makes some sense here is just that the, you know, the payoff, the maximum this butterfly could be worth is $30, and you're spending 4 bucks and change to buy it. So if you think about it as, you know, this is where I think this stock is going to go, and it is relatively low probability, but if it hits, uh, there is actually quite a handsome reward, I think that's sort of the way you should be thinking about these trades. The other thing I would quickly point out is that we often, when we do talk about things like butterflies, we try to use broken wing flies so that you can't be so right you're wrong. In other words, you think the stock's going to go higher, but it overshoots your target, and consequently you end up losing money. In this particular case, it would have to shoot pretty high. I mean, we're talking about getting 
you know, well above 680 from here. So I think when you think about it that way, uh, that it has to get up close to about 705 or so before you start losing money on this thing, that would be quite a move between now and the third Friday in November. So I'm less concerned about uh, the fact that it's a symmetrical butterfly in this case because of that. All right. For everything Options Action, check out our website and sign up for our newsletter. Here's what's coming up next. Still to come, why limit ourselves to just one trade in the second block of the show? A special earnings season double feature. Free port rides while Intel slides. We'll explain next. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Lately, commodities have been hot. Commodities. Carter has been uh, mining for another name with earnings out next week. So, Carter, take it away. Sure. Let's look at uh, Freeport, obviously uh, a big cyclical name. Two charts here. And again, we're going to try to see the same format to reinforce themes in technicals. Same circumstance. We just looked at it. In this case, it, it's a copper mining company. That's the point. doesn't matter what the business is. You have a well-defined trend line. In this case, talk about cyclical. You're talking about a stock that was at 4 to $5 when it's pandemic low and it goes to 45 and then it basically wipes out, drops some 35%. And where does that sell-off stop? To the penny, at the uptrend line. And now you see that downtrend line, those converging lines, the stock has, has broken out, if you will, from the wedge, from the triangle, meaning you have a standoff and then the bulls are in the ascendancy. So two more charts, where might it be headed? The second chart, I've tried to annotate here, and it's in an important level. The February 22nd high was at 39.10. Uh, today's high was 39 even, 39.01. So really important that it actually does go higher here, because failure here would set up the prospects of a head and shoulders. My hunch is that's not what's going to happen, that it is going to exceed that level annotated on the chart. Third and final chart. So the question is, if and as we do move above this fairly important level, where might we be headed? Well, you can only target one thing, the former high. That's at 46.10. Now, I don't think that's an immediate thing. So in this trade, we're looking for something more in the line of 42. Uh, stock close at 38.64. That's some good eating from here. <laughs> Thank you, Carter, for that. Mike, um, what's the trade off of it? Yeah, I mean, so obviously I think a lot of folks are aware, as Carter pointed out, cyclical name. We uh, obviously have good copper demand. We have strong copper pricing right here. I think we can take a look at the company. And with cyclicals, it's important to remember that valuation often looks cheapest at the top and it looks most expensive at the bottom. And that's just the nature of having a highly cyclical uh, income statement. But the important point I would make here is that it is still trading at a discount to its two and five year historical valuation uh, averages. And so I think it's still not uh, poorly priced, obviously, if you're looking at the stock. Uh, and finally, you know, going into earnings and, you know, in an area that's typically somewhat volatile, the commodity space, options prices 
are not overwhelmingly expensive. So I was just looking out to December at a call spread, the 3844 call spread. That call spread would cost a little over, uh, you know, a buck and change. I could buy those 38 uh, options for just a little over $2 and sell the 44s against it for about a buck. And, you know, it's important to point, as Carter mentioned, you know, this stock was 3864-ish or so at the close. So this call spread is actually very slightly in the money. And the reason that's important is because you want to think about what the decay is on a standstill basis for your options trade if the stock just goes sideways. And because it's got 64 cents worth of intrinsic value, it's really not a great deal of decay that you're going to potentially be paying. Just a little over 1% or so of the current stock price. And essentially, that's the price you're paying to have optionality. And what is the optionality? The fact that you don't need to participate if this, in fact, fails, if the stock falls below 38, you're not going to be compelled to own it there. And, of course, you have some protection if it drops down back to the low 30s, which is where it was trading not that far ago. Tony, what do you think? Yeah, so the chart looks very similar here to Tesla, but the fact that it hasn't broken above that $39 resistance despite copper surging higher here over the past few days, I do think is somewhat telling, but earnings is always the potential catalyst that it needs to break out above that level. I think Mike's playing this the right way. The implied volatilities here on Freeport is fairly elevated, so by using that in-the-money options, a great way to offset some of that. And by selling that, that, upper, that um, higher call option, he's able to reduce the cost of this trade to just 5% of the underlying stock's value, playing for about a 2 to 1 risk to reward ratio on this breakout. So I think this is a smart way to play for this potential breakout on earnings. All right, let's uh, round out these earnings trades with a look at Intel, the semi-stock gearing up to deliver results on Thursday. And Tony's got a way to play the chip stock if you're expecting a bit of a semi-slump. Tony. Yeah, so unfortunately, I think that we still see some headwinds here for Intel. I simply don't think we're in the clear just yet going into earnings next week. If we take a look at the chart here, the stock is really heading in just one direction. And not only is it losing ground on, a rel on, a, on an absolute basis, but relative basis to the semiconductor index or to the semiconductor industry, it continues to lose ground as well. So... If we look at the business itself, it's two primary businesses, the PC CPU space and the server CPU space. Both of them continue to lose ground here to AMD and Intel. And I unfortunately think that that is actually not only just starting, but it's actually accelerating here to the downside. And the one advantage they have, which is the fact that they fabricate their own chips, unfortunately, they are still quite a bit behind on their technology to be able to fabricate those five and seven nanometer chips. And I simply don't think that this turnaround is gonna happen this particular quarter, considering how capital intensive this foundry business really is. So the trade structure that I wanna use reflects the fact that the implied volatility on the options are relatively expensive here at the moment, and Intel trades at a relatively low valuation, only 11 times earnings. I'm going out to no November, and I'm selling the 55, 57 and a half call spread uh, collecting about $1.64 for the November 55 calls and paying about $0.82 cents for the November 57.5 calls, limiting my risk to the upside if Intel does jump higher by buying that 57.5 uh, call option. Net-net here I'm collecting about $0.82 cents, or just about one-third of the width. But this is a call spread that is about uh, 1%, one, 1.5% out of the money as of today's close already. Carter, what does the chart look like? Well, you know, obviously you saw it there in Tony's annotations, it's bad. But the really shocking thing, of course, is that Intel peaked 
in August of 2000, the dot com, I mean, that, at 77, the stock is 54 today. That's 20 years later. Adjust that for inflation, and you're talking about something that's basically down 70, 80% since its peak. I mean, it's bad. Wow. All right. Up next, we're taking your tweets, earnings related and otherwise. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take your tweets. Our first viewer asks, will we see a run-up in Apple stock price heading into earnings, like how Tesla has run up? Thoughts on November 12th, 150 calls. Carter, why don't you field this one? Sure. Well, we have not seen a run-up, right, Tesla? That's, that's what's impressive. It's relative strength. Uh, didn't sell off as the market was selling off. Apple's been sort of dormant. The, the hope here, of course, is that it doesn't take much of a move, 3, 3 4%, to get to uh, your 150 strike. I think it's, uh, I'd rather be long than short going in earnings. I'd have that trade on, yes. All right. Our next viewer asks, Palantir appears to be setting a sort of short-term baseline at 24. Thoughts on selling November 19th calls for 117 and buying the December 17th calls for 159 at a strike price of $25, betting for an upward move in the stock near term and own the stock. Tony, what do you say? Yeah, so I'm not a big fan here of the stock, but Arvin, you make some good points on the stock. We see higher highs and higher lows. That makes for an uptrend. And I do like the diagonal spread that you're trying to use in terms of a trade structure, but I would go a little further out in terms of time on the long option and on the short option and give yourself a little bit more upside, maybe selling the 27 or 28 strike here for November. All right. Our next viewer asks, I saw a lot of Dow puts at the $60 strike price expiring June 17, 2022. Bought this morning. This is very interesting since the CEO is saying they are having one of the best quarters and the stock is only trading at a price to earnings multiple of 10. What are your thoughts on this one? Mike, why don't you take it? Yeah, so, you know, one of the issues I think we have here is that, you know, P.E. obviously can be an indication that a stock is cheap. Sometimes it can also be an indication that you have a little bit of a value trap going on. Actually, if you go out more than one year, they're actually forecasting or most of the street is expecting an EPS decline. I, I don't think it's a terrible valuation for the company. And, and frankly, if I had my druthers, I'd probably have sold those 60 puts at 680 and just thought of this as a yield trade because... I actually kind of feel like Dow is sort of dead money here. All right. Up next, final call. That does it for us here on Options Action. We'll see you back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.